Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Hey, what's up, 4D Nation? Thanks for joining us today. What you're about to hear is an interview between myself and Brett Arkillian of the Iceman Kicking Podcast in our discussions about the kicking industry, kicking culture, resetting the industry, and various other topics related to special teams. Enjoy. And go make sure you subscribe and follow Brett's Iceman Kicking Podcast. Welcome, specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, relatives of long snappers, and dogs at Shag Kickoffs to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests. We're here to talk about the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. I'm your host, Barry Kelly. Today we have landed a very special guest, a special teams football academy founder and co-owner of National Kicking Rankings, Chris Hughesby. He also uh, is in a uh, works with Brian Jackson there with NKR. Um, a little bit about Chris. Uh, he played at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, uh, was a free agent kicker and punter uh, for the National Football League, uh, was also named uh, one of the top specialists and uh, uh, an All-American team member in 2009 as he played with the Minnesota Lumberjacks, St. Paul Pioneers, and Minnesota Dragons. Uh, Chris, how are you feeling today? Doing great. Thanks, Brett, for having me on. I'm excited to be a part of the Iceman Kicking Podcast. Man, we are super excited to have you. And this is an episode that's special to me because I definitely learned a lot about the kicking industry from you. So I can't wait to get into it. Um, but first, a word from our sponsors. This is the Iceman Kicking Podcast with Coach Chris Hughesby. Chris, welcome to the cold seat. Now, with everything going on, uh, with COVID and, you know, how, how is it affecting your industry and your guys' operation in the summertime here? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing <clears throat> with COVID is we're all small businesses. So <clears throat> everybody gets affected one way or another, you know, because you are dealing with a variety of, of, of athletes that you train, you know, and parents and all of their viewpoints on COVID and the things like that. So the biggest thing for me that I did from a, a training standpoint with athletes is I felt like the best way to do it is to be kind of upfront and honest about how we're going to run lessons and how careful we're going to be with, with COVID and, and, you know, cleaning supplies, cleaning footballs, you know, distancing, all that type of stuff. And I think I just felt like the, big, the best thing that you can do is be upfront about the practices you're going to have. And then it's up to the families to, to seek you out for training. So um, back when it happened, the first three or four weeks were pretty rough. I think I trained like three kids over the course of a three-week period. And then I think people just started feeling comfortable about the situation, and then they started coming out and training again. And then from a camp standpoint, when we did camps with Brian Jackson and myself, uh, we, we just had the same approach. We wanted to be upfront about how we're going to run camps, uh, the spacing, the player-to-coach ratio, 
and the cleanliness kind of processes that we were going to we were going to do, <clears throat> and also provide a, a mask for every camper that was you know optional to wear for their comfort level. And I think it, again up front, just, be, just being up front about how you were going to do stuff, I think benefited us in the end, and I think it did help look good amongst the industry that we were trying to take proper protocols. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I saw those pictures, I thought there's someone who's doing it right. You know, I, I think the pictures that you guys took at your camps where everyone was spaced out and they all had a mask on, one, looks super cool, okay? Mm -hmm. And two, it, you know, it showed, it was a statement of what you guys stand for, you know, what you guys believe in. You know, you're, wow. you're taking the safety precautions, but also, you know, you were, um, you know, giving out masks and, and just making sure everyone was safe. So I thought that was really cool. And, and we'll go a lot deeper into that and what you guys about your guys's operation there this show is brought to you by the kicker's bible the kicker's bible do you want to learn the ins and outs of kicking from nfl specialists organize practice schedules for in season and the off season so you don't overkick how to get a full ride scholarship offer the perfect long snapping technique for tossing a 6-5 ball on the hip every time this book provides specialists with the ultimate guide containing everything necessary to find success as a specialist at the highest level. Brett R. Kelly combined over 10 years of experience as a player and coach with countless hours of research to develop this handbook of the greatest collection of proven technique tips used by college and NFL specialists and coaches all in one place. The Kicker's Bible is a must have for both players and coaches at every level who want access to information essential to perform and teach at the best of their ability. Go to icemankicking.com to get your copy today. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you got into the kicking industry and your journey. We already mentioned uh, University of St. Thomas. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure, so it's, it's, a, it's a unique journey and my journey is something that I always try to share. I think, I think good coaches always try to find learning and teaching points that are relatable to kids. So my journey, uh, you know, starting, you know, dating back to high school, <clears throat> I was a linebacker and a kicker in high school. And that was, that was my thing. And I had maybe tried punting twice, you know. Uh, back then, the only kicking camps you could go to were in the summer. So I went to three kicking camps my whole career. So that's kind of how rare it was back then. Not to date myself or anything like that, but it was late 90s. So, and, and Gary Zahner ran some of the camps, and then there was a local Division three school that ran the camps as well. Uh, and they were real good at the time. So I had barely tried punting. I tried out for the punter spot. I didn't get it. I think I punted the guy, but I think, you know, they wanted to give everybody, a, you know, playing opportunities. And, you know, everybody kind of knows, you know, how those situations kind of work out. So, and that was fine with me. Um... I didn't think a lot about you know college football at the time. I, I wanted to, but back then they didn't have the resources they had now. So like predominantly you got recruited by schools in your state. So um, St. Thomas at the time, I had no idea who they were, believe it or not. Like until our star running back went there, like I didn't really know who they were or what they were. I just know the Gophers, you know, and the big, the big time schools. And like I said, there weren't a lot of resources then to learn about recruiting or know why or how and you know my only focus was like I need to get a college education and I'd like to play football if I could so anyway so uh, I think I had four schools that recruited me out of Minnesota and I ended up going to the University of St. Thomas 
because uh, I wanted to go in business. And so I went there. I got recruited as a kicker and a linebacker. And then when we showed up, you know, for two days, fall camp, there were about four freshman kickers that stepped forward when it was time to kick so they could see, you know, who the kickers were. So there's a surplus of kickers, like right off the bat. And within the first year, first season, they they had asked me if I was willing to consider training, converting to punter. At the time, I was like real resistant. I was like, I was like, I don't even punt. Like, why? You know, and, I, and they identified that I had a real strong leg and they thought I'd be a good fit and all that type of stuff. So as resistant as I was, I did it, you know, and like I had to like learn how to punt like on the spot. Like I said, I had only gone to three kicking camps my whole life. And all our coach wanted me to do was just punt the ball straight. You know, uh, a challenge that I had also with that conversion is the starter was the same age as me. So I really didn't like that as well. You know, like I wasn't going to get a chance to like play right away because the guy was my age. So, uh, so I also use that as a teaching point as well. So, you know, I had to wait my turn to play, uh, which is challenging. It was humbling, you know, and I used that as a teaching point to kids that you may be a big fish in a small pond, the big dog at high school playing for three years, probably the hardest reality check for kickers and punters is right in the pine when you get to college because you're told how good you were for most of your life. And in your community, you were like a God and you're, you're real good. But now like there's two other dudes that are just as good as you, if not better, you know, and that's a tough reality check. And it was for me, but I kind of knew that going in. Um, but anyways, I had a great fifth year of, of football. I did four and a half years uh, because I was stuck with a punter that was of the same grade level. It made it challenging. Um, I, I was a better punter than he was from, from a lake perspective. I typically out punted him five to 10 yards. However, he was more consistent. So he was consistently good or consistently average to good. And that was frustrating in my end. And again, another thing I learned the hard way is consistency. And I remember having conversations with my coach saying, I'm, I'm way better than this guy, you know? And they're like, yeah, Chris, you are, but I don't know where the ball's going to go when you punt it. Every eighth ball could go in the stands, you know? And that's why we just need somebody consistent. So that's where I learned the hard way that, like, it's not just that I'm a, a real good punter because I, I was real good at punting then, but, um, but learning the consistency element. So a story I don't tell that often is around that time because I was always with a guy at my grade level. Um, I had always wanted to study abroad, and I actually, my fourth year of college football, uh, I took off and I studied abroad for a semester. Uh, which was a phenomenal experience. And then I came back and I joined the team and I did a fifth year, you know, so I could have my senior year been the starting kicker or my fifth year been the starting punter. So I had, I had a choice and I just, I wanted to study abroad. So I did, it's kind of a story I don't tell a lot, but I had a phenomenal uh, punting year as a senior or fifth year guy. Um, I think I had four or five games where I averaged like 42 to 46 yards a punt, like doing really good. I ranked high amongst Division Three football. Had one bad game that dropped the average, which a lot of people kind of experience at some point in their life. And I did well, but I ended up pursuing the NFL then because of that due to recommendations from a lot of the coaches on staff. So back then, Facebook had just come out, believe it or not. I don't know, you know, for the listeners, you guys probably all had Facebook your whole life. But back then, you could not back then you only had access to Facebook if you went to a college and you had a college email, like a .edu. So I was, I was part of the first batch of guys to ever get Facebook at St. Thomas, which is also a unique story. My friend's friend, my friend's sister got St. Thomas hooked up as a Facebook spot at St. Thomas, which is kind of funny. 
But back then, you had to know the right people to get to these free agent tryouts. So if you weren't getting drafted right out of college, which most Division three guys weren't, you had to know the right, right, right places. And back then, uh, Michael Houston and Louis Aguiar were one of the two big uh, free agent camps to go to. There was a few other guys that did it that two of them aren't doing it anymore. And um, they were the place to go. So I knew the right people to get there. And I had to get, like, basically approved to be a part of that. So that was a nice honor. And when I was there, I was one of two, two Division three specialists that were training and trying out, and it was, it was, it was, it was amazing and crazy at the same time. Because back then there wasn't much for social media, so all the punters and kickers you saw were always on TV. So like, go, imagine going to th- you know a tryout, and you're with guys that played for Texas Longhorns and, and the Miami Hurricanes and Florida Gators, all the guys you like watched on TV. So it was really like you know, hanging out with an NFL athlete and you're like, wow, you know. So I learned a lot from that too, which I also use in training. So that's kind of a long story. So I pursued the NFL for about six years. Um, I played uh, adult league football or minor league football, which were the the teams that you named off. I played that just to stay in game shape because I knew that like I needed to have film, you know, beyond college. So did that. When the dream was about done, I went and saw Gary Zahner at one of his pro development camps in Minnesota. Um, I knew I was kind of towards the end, but like, I needed like somebody official to tell me that. And he basically told me like, I just don't think you got it anywhere. And it kind of crushed to hear that, but I needed it. You know, I knew it, but I don't want to hear it, but I heard it anyways. So then after that, I wanted to get in coaching. So I had always dreamed of being a head coach, head football coach in high school. Um, but I thought my first foot in the door was to train kickers and punters. So I started training specialists. My first ever camp had two guys, you know, which I think most aspiring kicking coaches have those types of stories where you have like one or two kids or three kids at your first camp. I think I barely had six or seven, but that was thanks yeah. to you guys. And in one of our first camps, I had to drive two and a half hours south just to just to have a field because we got approved by like a small town school, which was crazy. And eventually we started getting our local schools to, to, to get field access. But um so I did that and I just loved it. And then I started coaching at, at the local high schools. I got, you know, I, I was a specialist coach for one of the local teams. And then I uh, had an opportunity at one point to coach at the University of St. Thomas, my alma mater, which was a phenomenal uh, experience. They pretty much ran it like a division one program. And, you know, ironically, in a, you know, three years later, they're going to transition to be a division one school. So it was a phenomenal experience. And uh, I probably actually still would have been coaching there at the D3 level, but some, some rules had changed on how things could be done with my kicking academy and coaching at the D3 level. So I, I stepped away. So uh, fantastic learning experience. So that kind of brings me to today. So I've been training specials for 11 years, uh, officially 10 with Special Teams Football Academy, and it's, it's amazing, you know, to have that ability to impact kids' lives, teach them life skills, teach them that they could kick their way into college and leverage their foot or snapping ability to get a college education and kind of positively impact kids that way. So, um, so it's been incredible. And, and then you had mentioned, you know, NKR. So Brian Jackson and I started that about three years ago. Uh, we were a part of another evaluation platform and then we ended up leaving and developing our own. And uh, we've had a real nice growth over the last three years and it's been a very impactful platform that kids can use so or specialists can use so kind of brings me to today so it's been a a crazy run that I never envisioned myself to be in 
Well, absolutely. And you know, I think um, what's so funny about a lot of the things you said is, you know, those guys that you mentioned, you went to those camps. I mean, they're still around. They're still doing kicking out. You know, I've you know heard about Gary Zahner, Louis Aguilar. You know, even those guys are not wildly doing camps anymore. You know, but um, the one thing I think is important for me is is to me you and and Brian, but especially you are you know one of the most real guys in this kicking industry um, because there's so many you know um, I guess politics you'd say you know yeah. in in rankings and stuff like that. But I think you guys really do it right, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to talk about stuff like that. So you mentioned some of those yeah. guys and I, I wanted to kind of talk about what do you know about the roots of the kicking industry? I know Brian talks about uh, someone who was down out in the South that ran camps and you mentioned those two guys, you know, how, how did you get into that? Or, or you know, talk to me about the, the roots of, of that kicking movement. Yeah. The, the history of the kicking coach game is, is quite crazy. So when I was in it, my punting coach was, I had to drive six hours to go see him in Southern Wisconsin. And then I did phone consultation with Louis Aguiar because he was basically like my pro punting coach. I also talked to Michael Houston, but more Louis because like when I pursued the NFL, punting was my, became my focus. Kickoffs was like a, my supporting kick and then field goals was my third kick, but I was nowhere, nowhere near like NFL ready for field goals. But um, like I had to... I had to mail DVDs to Louis Aguiar and then we set up a call like three days later to like review it. So like back then the kicking coaches scene was like few and far between. And then you talk to guys like uh, Randy Brown, we interviewed uh, the Ravens kicking coach. He's been in the kicking game as a kicking coach since like the eighties. So like back then it was even sparse. It was like three guys like running the show. Carol White, which Brian always talks about. Uh, she was a big time in the South. Uh, Randy Brown, I think, was born in the East. Um, and there, and like Ray Pelfrey, I think, did the West. Like, I, that was pretty much it. And I think Fred Mitchell, I think sometimes he instructed guys. I don't know, but he was out of Chicago. So, like, it's few and far between. And then when I was going through it, it was, it was really few and far between. Now, with the advancement of social media over the years, it made it easier to get the exposure, know where to go, know the right places to go, you know, the camp-wise. And then um, – I think just perceptionally everybody saw that if you run a big camp you know it can be nice financially and then everybody was trying to be a kicking coach you know so you know it's there's been a lot of it's been like a forest fire growth I think for the for the years but it was crazy to see it come to fruition basically over my almost 20 years of being in the kicking game well and I think you were really you know, you were, you were in it when it kind of blew up or you saw it blew up, you know what I mean? Because you kicked in a few camps and then started coaching and then it's, it's definitely blown up. And it's funny you, you mentioned that too because even we had Matt Carrizosa who's, you know, trained with you guys and trained with me. And uh, he was talking about when he and I were going through it, we actually met at a Cal camp in 2011. And even then it's like, I didn't know all, you know, I knew about Sailor, barely on the west coast because i'm from california barely knew about coals but you know we went to that cal camp and we we're like oh that was fun let's go to another camp you know it's a networking yeah. thing you have to meet kids i've never seen that before and that was 2011 2012 so and then, yeah. and then we went to one of brian's camps uh in la and that's what kind of opened my eyes like oh okay there's other people out here who do this and then yeah. for me 
you know, when I got into it um, after I graduated and played uh, in 2017, you know, you guys were the first guys that I went to because I'm like, okay, you know, it, 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 you mentioned the money part, you know, we'll get a little bit deeper into how things have changed, but the money thing, it has, seems to be a big money grab now, this kicking industry. Whereas before, I genuinely think it was meant to help specialists get better. You know, now it's turned into like how many, I remember, you know, going to an Oregon camp and there was run by one of the big instructors in the West and there was 200 kids there. And I'm like, yeah. how, how am I supposed to get seen when there's, you know, and I'm not a big guy either. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the, the game right now. And it sucks that depending on who you go to, it's like a game you got to play just to be seen. And, you know, the thing that Brian and I try to do is, is just last year we started a hashtag reset the industry. And it just, it came from an idea on my end that there's all this like stuff that goes on in the in industry, like possessiveness over specialists and ownership. And, you know, I'm the only one that you can see like it came to a point where like, I was like, I wish I had the, the courage to just speak out, you know, cause every, everybody wanted to say stuff and everyone was afraid to, you know, of, of the Goliaths out there, you know? And eventually I just, I told Brian, I was like, let's just, let's just say reset the industry. Let's just state, say some statements about what's going on and let's just create awareness about it. And then eventually it just started snowballing a little bit more. And I, you know, I feel like in the last, year the industry has gotten a lot better it's gotten more friendly and we did a post about it just the other day like there's there's some bigger organizations now that are working together for the common good of the specialist and and i think that's the right way to do it and and that's how i always approach stuff as a coach because often in our industry there'll be coaches that say i'm i'm the only way that you can get into college but really it's not you know that, that coach may have a particular like regional area that he's got good connections with, but he really doesn't. And my opener was, my opener actually was, um, I was told by uh, one of the Minnesota Gophers special teams GAs that he listens to what I have to say and then what one of the big platforms have to say. And that was like an eye opener. I was like, holy crap, you know, you're listening to me, you know, you know, cause sometimes you just don't believe in yourself enough. You know that you maybe are good and a good coach, but like, when a big 10 school says, Hey, you know, I, I listen to what you have to say and somebody else. I was like, Holy smokes. And so like when I, if I have a trainee and if I want to do what's best for the athlete, you know, is it selfish of me to keep that athlete just with me or is it better for their growth down the road for whatever level they're trying to do to have them get exposure and learn from somebody else. That's also really good at what they do. So that was always my approach when I trained people. And that was kind of the give and take between, I don't want to say the good and the bad, but the, the selfishness and the unselfishness of the industry of, of letting, you know, specialists train with other people, you know. Yeah, well, that's a great hashtag, you know, hashtag reset the industry. I like that. Everyone get on Twitter and start using that hashtag. But you know, seriously, when you started doing that, it really, uh, I think it did open some eyes, you know. Um, and yeah, just like you were talking about regional coaches, you know, they mean a lot to, to, you know, now I'm at, I'm at a college and definitely pay attention because those guys know their specialists even more. But, um, you know, when it comes to college coaches, uh, I, you know, coming from a, 
uh, high school and then making that jump to college, I always thought, oh, you know, college coaches must be very guarded of their secrets or their coaching points. And they're totally not. You know, it was amazing how many college coaches opened up to me and said, yeah, come on, let's come in and we'll talk about special teams. And that's what I did as a high school coach. That's how I got here. Uh, so then when I saw that, you know, I thought, well, then why is the kicking industry so protected? Like even the, you know, the fundamentals are very guarded and no one wants to share that. So that's yeah. why I really, you know, that's why I wrote my book and, and definitely learned a lot from you guys. But, you know, mm -hmm. the Kicker's Bible, if you guys haven't heard, go get your copy. But, I just got um, my copy in the mail, actually. There we go. Chris <laughs> is supporting, man. Icemankicking.com. I really appreciate you, Chris. But yeah. yeah, so, you know, if college coaches are like that, you know, and this is a super competitive business, why shouldn't kicking coaches be super helpful with each other, you know? Yep. You know, uh, I, I heard a quote from another kicking coach, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was out of the Atlanta area. I think he kind of just he's – he's an older kicking coach, so he kind of – doesn't do the social media game that, that much, but he basically said like the big platforms out there, they're basically Broadway and all of the smaller coaches are the coaches that get the athletes to the Broadway show or the play. And, and that was around the time when it seemed very possessive where some of the platforms would, would claim specialists. And that was always an issue in our industry. Like, you know, some guy, some guy makes it to a big time program or makes it to the NFL and all of a sudden there's, like seven coaches claiming that athlete, you know, oh, my guy, you know, but like when you think about it, like some of the, the big platforms that just showcase people, the kids only came just to get showcased that, you know, they weren't, maybe they, maybe they connected that player to the coach, you know, the college coach, but like there were other coaches behind the scenes that got that person to that, that level. So those were some of the things I learned in the process as well as, just being like a local coach out of Minnesota and then kind of having a little bit of a Midwest presence. And then now to, you know, probably the last four or five years, having more of a national presence as a coach, just trying to break those stereotypes and teach kids that, that there's more out there. You know, um, you know, we did a tweet the other day recently, you know, no kicking coach owns you. They're not paying you to be exclusive. Like I'm not paying you Brett to be exclusive with me as a, as, as a trainee you have the right to spend your money on whoever you want, you know, to give yourself the best opportunity to get exposure. And that's, I always try to preach that as well. Like, you know, Hey, Hey, what do you think about this, these locations or camps? And, you know, I try to give them the pros and cons, like, here's what, but more like what you'll expect. Like, Hey, this is what you expect. This camp has a lot of people. This has uh, less people, you know, this is what you expect. And they usually, and I say, you can do it, go for it. And let me know if I was right. You know, let me know if I was right or wrong. You know, and they usually came back and say, yeah, your system was pretty good. And so, like, I'll, I'll never keep somebody from them. I'll just let them know, like, this is what you could expect if you go this particular path, the pros and the cons and what, and what, what you got to watch out for. So, and, they might, and they might pick up on something really good and they might introduce it to you or you might introduce it to them, you know. So I, I think there's definitely beauty in being able to work with other kicking coaches. And the other thing, too, is, you know, some of the guys I've ran into in the kicking industry that, genuinely want to see people succeed you know and these could be you know kicking coaches like yourself or nfl greats or veterans you know we talk about uh, david Akers or shane graham these guys are more than willing. they love talking kicking special teams there's no guarded secret here because yeah. at the end of the day you still have to put all that knowledge into work and, and stuff like that so you know these guys are, are awesome they're always looking to help other people that's if you're a great coach 
or a great person in general, that's what you're looking to do. Yep. You know, one thing I, I connected, so I went to a coaching clinic uh, three or four years ago, and this is when PJ Fleck was still a coach at, at uh, Western Michigan. And I was, I was like awestruck and inspired by his, his style. He's a man. He's my and favorite. He's amazing. And I love the way he does it, the energy. And he said, he goes, you know, by trade, I'm like a third grade, like social studies teacher or something like, you know, some third grade, that's what he was like trained to be initially. And so he, his philosophy, like, like synced with me where like, as a coach, like you need to find different ways to teach to somebody. Cause somebody, somebody watches, learns by watching some, some learn by listening, some learn by doing. So like, my biggest thing as a coach is to figure out multiple ways to teach you how to do something and do it indirectly in a way where it doesn't seem obvious, you know, where like we have you demo, show it, I explain it. And then I usually try to find an, an analogy. And like, so that's why I connected with PJ because that was like his philosophy on how he ran things at Western Michigan. And I was like, okay, well, if he's doing it like that, I must be like onto something on um, something that kind of makes sense to teach a kid properly. And, um, so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like you had mentioned, there's a lot of intricacies to be a real good coach too, to help maximize a kid's ability. Oh yeah. You know, I actually saw PJ at the AFCA coaches convention in Nashville last year, and he was showing us these slides of how he helps uh, his team prepare uh, for a game week. And he would choose a artist and they, they put the artist yeah. on Goldie the Gopher, you know? So like, you'd have a prince and he'd be rocking out with the prince thing. And there was a, there was a theme that went along with it, you know, like, yep. but all week they would always play prince music or they would choose another artist or they'd choose, you know, a, a different theme. And I'm like, this guy's amazing, but he's, he understands how to motivate. And like you said, teach his players in different ways. It doesn't always have to be, here's how you kick, walk out your ankle, fall through, you know, it's, there's different ways to show them. So uh, yeah, he's he's the man. He's by far one of my favorite coaches. Great. All right. Um, so, okay. So, what is something that you have like we talked about how the industry's grown? What is something that you have liked about it growing? What's been a benefit of it? The growing. One of the biggest benefits is I think just for the athlete in general is that there's more access to coaches. You know, because in every state, there's somewhere between probably one and four coaches per state now. So the kids have a plethora of ways to get local training without having to travel so far for it. Where, like, like I had to drive six hours to meet with my punting coach <clears throat> or call over the phone, you know, which basically was like a modern day virtual call, you know, but just done by DVD. So I, I think that's good. I, I think. I think the science behind kicking, punting, and snapping has advanced a lot. You know, there, there's the old ad, adage of, you know, keep it simple, stupid, and core fundamentals, you know, which I think is very valid and true. But I think, I think the science behind it, the physics uh, of, of motion and movement, I still think is very valid. And I think that's what helps excel a sport in general is, you know, people getting stronger because of better lifting programs and things like that. And I think the kicking and the punting game is getting better because the science behind it is better. People understand motion and movement better and the why behind it, like keeping forward progression through your swing or your body. And, and, and I think that's all helpful, you know, and I think teaching a kid, then you got to find that element where 
how much information do you give him so that they can retain it versus keep it simple? So like oftentimes as a coach, I move back and forth uh, between how I train a kid. And then I also, you got to adapt to the kid's style and maybe how they, how you perceive them, you know, picking up a certain concept. Um, but, but like going, just going back to just how I train guys is I, usually for, for me growing up, I always wanted to know why, like, okay, well, somebody says you got to do this. Well, okay. Why? Like, why, why is it like that? Why do they think that way? So for me, if I'm going to tell a kid like, Hey, um, you need to make sure you follow through on your punts, like downfield. I usually try to find an analogy or an example to compare to. Well, it's kind of like shooting a three pointer. You know, you're going to jump and shoot towards the hoop going towards your basket. That gives you the most accurate chance to shoot a, a three pointer straight. So think about it like punting. You're not, you're not going to shoot a three pointer and spin and twist because you have less accuracy. You may get lucky every once in a while, the same thing with punting. So, I, I try to find a sport that the athlete plays and then find some similar commonalities that they can use as well so they get their low, their aha moment quicker in the process of learning. That's a fantastic coaching point right there. And I think that's that's important in every level. It's funny, though, that you said real quick there, like the science of, you know, of, of football or, or athletics in general has helped further these sports, you know, because mm – -hmm. That's what I definitely see now. And by no means am I saying like there's, you know, one size fits all. This is how you kick. This is how you, yep. you know, at the end of the day, you always have to adapt to who your specialist is. But I, mm -hmm. I do think there is and, and there's becoming more of a general way to kick. You know, think about any other position group in football. You don't just say, all right, well, he's got his general style playing linebacker. Let's just kind of let out, let him go out there and go make tackles. There's, mm -hmm. there's a general um, fundamentals of, yep. of specialists and, and kicking that, uh, you know, if they learn it, they'll be successful. So I think that was really cool. And that's a great point. And also that coaching point is fantastic too, uh, that you yep. mentioned there. Uh, what, what's something that, you know, about the industry that frustrates you? We talked about some things, but what, what frustrates you currently? Um, you know, sometimes the, pos the possessiveness about a specialist or sometimes a particular coach feels like, you know, only go their route, their path, and that they're the end-all, be-all. You know, there was one time which kind of led me to get to the idea of the reset the industry is there was one point I counted like six or seven or eight kicking academies that all said they were the best in the nation. So it made me think like, Okay, I've been around the game for a while. I've never once seen a poll that said, like, where you voted on, you know, who's the best kicking coach or academy. So something's not right. So part of me, like, when I was more shy, I wanted to be like, all right, well, let's just do a poll. And that's hopefully every specialist will vote on their three favorites kicking the academies or coaches. And there's a point value, and then we, like, basically rank them. But, like, in my head, I was like, okay, there's, like, six or seven or eight places that call themselves the best in the nation. Somebody's eighth best here, you know. And that's kind of like when it started like clicking in my head, like, okay, something's not adding up and something needs to be done and said. They can't, um, they can't all be the best, right? It's like uh, an elf when Will Ferrell goes and he drinks the world's best cup of coffee. And the, the girl's like, it's a crappy cup of coffee. They can't all be the world's best cup of coffee. Yeah. So like, so I made sure, like for me, like I take a lot of pride in the things that I say and do and like a reputation to build. So like I made sure, like when I advertised about our academy that, we were one of the best in the Midwest, you know, and, uh, you know, that because there was other organizations that were good. I maybe was a little bit bigger, but they were also good at what they did. So I think, I think it has to be the right wording 
on, on how it's done. Um, the other thing that probably could get a little bit better, which I think it is getting better, is is sometimes coaches feel like it's like their way or the highway on on the technique, and there's more than one way to do it, you know, and and so like I have to take the approach when I coach kids, especially if I know that that they're an athlete that has seen other coaches, and I'll and I'll say like, okay, well, um, sometimes it's going to be coached like this. And sometimes it's coached like this. This is the way I do it. And here's the reason why, you know, the reason, you know, some like, like field goals, some coaches teach you to plant real close and you have a little body lean, or you can be more upright and have more body balance. So then I'll say like, well, I, I teach you where you have to have a little bit of a wider plant foot about a shoe length distance away. And you're more upright because I was taught when I was learning the game of being a better coach and, and just, you know, learning more is, is when you kick field goals, pretend like you're kicking on ice, you know, you want to have balance so that you can still kick while you're on ice. You know, obviously you're not really going to do it, but if you come in hard and, and tight and leaning, you're going to probably slip, which is the same as if you get like a wet or snowy uh, field surface. And this was more back in the day when there was grass fields everywhere. But so like, I, I also try to approach it like, okay, you're probably going to hear this style and this style. Um, you know, here's, here's my why, why I think this is the style that I think is, is a little bit better than the other one. So, so like, I'll, I never want to come across as saying it's my way or the highway, but I'll say like, hey, this is why I think this will help you more than the other style and why. And so I, and I think a lot of kids respect that. And, but so, yeah, but that is something in the industry where I've noticed, and I, and I notice it more in the, in the snapping game as well. It almost seems like uh, some of the snapping coaches, it's like their way is the best science possible. So it's, um, it's it, you know, come, it, it's coming and, and hopefully we break the mold by talking about it. That's, you know, just with like real life society stuff, sometimes things don't change until people start talking about it. So I just think it takes courage from the right people out there that maybe have built a voice or built a reputation to speak out about certain things. And I think that that's how change happens. So that's kind of going back to earlier in our conversation, you know, Brian and I have been working hard at trying to reset the industry and talk about things that need to get adjusted or changed for the better you know well, and that's why we're here to hashtag yeah. reset the industry and now we're putting it on more of a public platform with the iceman kicking podcast that's right and let everyone see it let everyone see our beautiful faces well and it's yeah. funny too that what you're talking about about the kicking stuff is kick on ice you guys probably have done that before in minnesota yeah. so that's an even better analogy to your specific area no i honestly i think that's really good and believe me i'm 100 percent with you when it's like yeah yeah, these guys, you know, they go to college and they're, they're being, they have four or five different guys they've worked with before. And the only thing you can do is say, all right, this is what I believe in and here's why. Give them the why, you know. And that, and then it shows you know what you're talking about, you know. Because some people will say, I don't know, this is the way we've always done it. And I've always thought that is the, the worst thing to hear or the worst thing to say when it comes to coaching points. Yeah, you know, the other thing I learned, like, for, for me, like my general mindset is always to understand the why behind it. So if I ever heard a coach somewhere say, well, this is how you got to hold the ball. This is the level. This is the table. This is your swing. This is your backswing. This is your ankle lock. So in my mind, I try to think, okay, so why do they think that that way is the best way or that's the way that they have to do it? So then I try to understand it. Sometimes it makes sense. Like sometimes if you actually dug deep into it, yeah, okay, it makes sense now. You know, and if you let people know, you know, the and, and the biggest thing that I – learned with time that I think gave me courage as a kicking coach that I could do it and I could be impactful 
And actually recently I saw Pat McAfee posted on on social media once, but like, if you think about this big picture, every expert that you know and look up to, they all started in the exact same spot you were. It's some dude that didn't know much and just learned. And, and I feel like that was my journey is I learned from as many people as I could, the why behind their coaching styles. And then I made my own that fit my style and that I felt like was the most effective based on logic and physics and, and just a lot of different variables. But like anybody could be a real good kicking coach or anybody could be the next, you know, head like legendary football coach somewhere. All you got to do is just put in the work and learn and when you understand like conceptually a bunch of stuff, that's like really when the game changes, like as a coach or, or as a specialist coach or head coach is it, it just eventually it like snowballs and like erupts one day. But, you know, we were all in, we we're all in these high school and college kids' shoes at one point trying to learn how to do it. So I just became an expert, expert by trial and error, by practicing, by learning, by doing, you know, and sometimes, new coaches, you're basically learning how to coach on the spot because you could always perform really well, but sometimes you just don't know how to put it into words. Like I was a real good punter. I had to figure out how to put it in words. You know, sometimes you just learn on the spot on, oh, okay, well, I explained it that way and it maybe didn't quite resonate with him or the other three kickers I did. So I'm going to reword it differently the next time. And then, so sometimes you just learn that way, which is huge in the business world, in the coaching world. You know, your head coach, most likely, well, he, he was in your shoes at one point, you know, and he had to learn a lot and figure out what schemes he likes best and why he likes a certain offensive scheme better than another one. It's trial and error. You figure out what works typically, mathematically, statistically the best. So, you know, it's anything. And, and, and then and when I had those aha moments, that's when I really, truly believe, like, anything is possible. Like, like it all sounded cliche as a kid growing up, like, yeah, you could become an astronaut. You could become the president. Like it really is truly possible if you just put all your effort into it. If you really wanted to be the president and or, or the next astronaut that goes on the moon or whatever, like if you just go all in, learn as much as you can and slowly earn credibility and knowledge and all that type of stuff, like, like truly anything's possible. Could I be Peyton Manning? Probably not. I'm not, you know, tall enough. But like, could I have been a real good quarterback if I really put the effort in? Yeah, I could have been a, probably a real sweet five foot 11 quarterback. That was probably really good if I sought out a lot of quarterback coaches, but you know, so I mean, there's limitations to a point, but pretty much anything is possible, you know? No, that's some great motivation from Chris Hughes. No, I, <laughs> I, I do think you're, you're right hundred percent about what you said there, you know, is, is if you are a great learner, you know, mm-hmm. and the great thing about uh, where, you know, where I'm at is the head coach is, is huge on special teams. Um, yep. But you know, what I, I've saw from like a Peyton Manning clip, is that he wrote everything down, you know? So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And literally throughout my career, I wrote everything down. And yep. it, another shameless plug led to me writing a book about it, you know? And I, yep. I, by no means do I feel like an expert. I'm learning from guys like you, you know, that mm-hmm. have been in it way longer than I have. But I, I do take pride in being a great learner. You know, that's my, yep. my big thing that I take take pride in. So that's that's really cool that we have, you know, the main uh, same mindset in that mm-hmm. aspect. Um, getting a little bit more specific now uh, with sure. guys trying to make it into college uh, trainees that you get, uh, what's what's a common misconception that you get from these young guys trying to make it uh, into college football? I think, I don't know if it would say it's the hardest thing, 
but it's consistent is kids learning to be consistent because they might see a, a kid get an opportunity at a particular school and they'd be like, well, I can kick 53 yard field goals, you know, or something like that. And, and I'm like, okay, well, can you do it when pressure's on? Can you do it five times in a row? Can you, can you show consistency? And, and I think that, or, or did you kick it with a rubber football? You know, I, I just had that conversation today in a, in, a, in a session is like probably at least a third to half of my trainings, very first lesson they rolled in with a rubber football. Cause sometimes you just don't know, you know, and, and, the, and the parents don't know what to get. They get something at a particular retail sports store and that's all that's available. And then until you learn like the proper equipment to get, but. You're talking about just, the synthetic footballs, right? Like the yeah. non-leather, the synthetic balls. Yep, the synthetic rubber footballs. And then they crush it and they're so amazing. And then you put them on a leather football and it goes five yards less, you know? So um, not to like write on that because that's that's just how kids, you know, learn and parents think that's the right way at the time until they until they learn better, you know? And um, so like, you know, thinking that, that that happens or in the recruiting game, uh, you know, you say, say you and I were buddies, you know, fellow kickers in, the, in a certain grad class and you, you started getting offers and I haven't gotten anything and I feel like I'm just as good as you is to try to be patient and tell, tell, tell that kid that like, you've got a path in life. You know, if you, if you want to get spiritual, you know, God's got a plan for your, for your life and, and how it's going to work out. And, and it's going to be different than, than Johnny or Tommy or whatever. So, you know, you can, you can roll with it in that regard, but that's, that's also a, something that I see common is, is kids are always comparing themselves, which is good. I think you need to have bars to set your, 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 your goals to, but like if, if you feel like you're of equal caliber and one guy's getting all the accolades or the, or the opportunities and you're not quite yet, you know, I, I've had trainees get SEC opportunities in June or July, which is crazy because, and, and that's what like Brian and I try to preach to these kids. Like, like it's never truly over until you find something. I mean, I remember when I got, new into coaching, I had like the University of Hawaii contacting me in August. They needed a punter and I didn't have any punters, you know? And it's like, like there are big time programs that have, have needs and scenarios and you just never know how it plays out. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody quits because a younger kid is starting over them. Somebody's grades aren't good. Some, sometimes they do something stupid in school and get themselves in trouble through, through school. So it's like, there's always an opportunity it depends on how patient you're willing to wait, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, it's funny you say that because like when I was playing at UTM, like we had a season where we're going into the first couple, you know, when we're set, we have, we're deep, we have a ton of specialists, you know, we're good going into the season. Starting kicker gets hurt, like, you know, start of fall camp. So now it's like they're in a frantic search to find somebody, not only who can make kicks, you know, but it's just reliable, like someone they can trust, you know? And so that's when they might give you guys a call and be like, hey, it's August 1st, you know what I mean? Or it's mid-June, July. We need a guy. We're going to scholarship him right now because it's a big need. It's like, you know, too many people give up or they, they want to be that guy with all the offers. And it's really not – it's not about that. I've seen guys that had, you know, 15, 16, 17 offers that don't turn out to be anything because yep. they didn't have the mental capacity to make it at that spot. So, yep. that's that's – you know – I'm sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to say, sometimes the guys that aren't given everything or told they're the best at everything, they try harder. And sometimes I think that's gotten to me, gotten, that's, that happened to me, and I had to work, like, extra hard to be the starter. 
I'd work extra hard to try to pursue the NFL, you know, and I think that type of stuff, you know, helps me become a better specialist and then help me become a better coach because I spent more time trying to figure out how to be good, you know, than just, just naturally being good. And everybody told me I was, I was the best, you know? So I think, I think that helped plays a role as well. Yeah. For me too, it's, it's kind of like there's, there's beauty in the struggle, right? So yes, you become, you become more physically stronger and also mentally stronger, but sometimes I'll look around and be like, you know, this is tough. What am I doing? But at the end of the day, I know it's building my character and it's turning me into a more hardworking person. The more I do something that's hard for me, the more I'm sure this is what I want to do and I want to be great at it. And, and putting in the time, the extra time, the extra hours is going to yep. make me great at it. And I'm, you know that from you know, all your training. So yep. uh, talk to me. I know we've, you, Chris, or you, Brian, and I had some great conversations or deep conversations about this aspect of guys trying to make it into college football. Does a block hinder a kicker from getting a shot at the next level? When should you use it? When should you not use it? Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, that's, that's obviously one of the biggest, I think, topics of the industry and what to do. You know, I, 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 I said all these comments kind of loosely in a way because there's always an exception to the rule. And, but, you know, I think if you're, if you're trying to get in to be a college athlete, um, you know, the summer going into your, your, your senior year, when typically kids go to the showcase camps or college run camps, more importantly, um, college run kicking camps, I think that's good to show that you can kick off the ground. It shows the coach that you're college ready already. However, I don't think you should just jump into the ground just because you feel like that you need to, because if you're not ready and like, for example, like if I, if I jumped to the ground and I was only on a one inch block, I'm probably going to, you know, line drive a bunch of kicks and they're not going to look good. So my name's already going to get scratched off. So I would rather play the odds hitting a real good ball off of a one inch or a half inch block and have them be like, all right, I like this guy's leg, I think, or I assume, or hopefully it translates to the ground, you know, or another tee down. So I would, I would rather put myself in the position where I wow the, the coach than to like handicap myself to, to not be able to do it. So um, at least that's, that's kind of what I try to preach. I know that there's certain camps that will say, hey, you, you're a senior, you, you got to kick off the ground. I don't think that's right because I think, if you're rolling into that camp and you don't know what the expectation is like for that camp, and all of a sudden, like, I'm feeling real good. I got a one inch block. And all of a sudden the coach says, you got to kick off the ground. I think that's the only way possible. I like, I don't have any kicking rhythm kicking off the ground. I can't transition that quick. Uh, so I think it's, it's good for specialists to look in, to know what camp you're getting into and figure out how it's run. Talk to other specialists that have gone there and try to find the vibe and the culture and the expectation it's like a job interview. I'm not going to apply for a job and not do any research on the, on the company and the company culture. So I think it should be done with the kicking camps, you know, now, now I do think that like, if your senior year of high school ended or senior year season ended, like, yeah, you should be on the ground then, or, you know, take a few weeks to transition to like a half inch and then to the ground, you know, just transition time. But, you know, so it's kind of a loose answer, but I think it's based on your ability. Like I would rather shine on a one inch block or half inch block than be struggling off the ground. If I want some sort of hope that this program is going to be interested in me, I don't want to be scratched off the list now. I'd rather 
delay it the best I can with the giving myself the best chance to be recruited and hopefully not scratched off the list early. It, that, that's always been my biggest thing too, is like I draw from personal experience. So I was a late, you know, I started kicking my junior year of high school. It's like, I was not ready to make that jump, you know, junior summer going to senior year. And even, you know, it took me a while after my senior football season to get ready, you know, for going to college. So if you're, there's no point in, doing great from you know uh, a one inch block and then going straight to the ground and just absolutely you know struggling it's, it's not going to look good on you you're not going to look uh, talented at all when you know you can do it it's just an adjustment period that you need to go through um, exactly and so then okay so then to kind of bounce off that still is I'll you know I'll tell a kid like okay well yeah you know learn off the ground for the summer but most likely in your season your coach is going to want to have you kick off the tee because there's a visual element for that whole placeholder set the ball on. So there's less room for error by seeing something. So I just tell them like, your coach may have you do it. So don't totally scrap the idea. Um, but also uh, I had heard a, a statistic once and I, and I can't remember it now, but it was something like for every inch you decrease on your block, you lose like two to five yards or two, two to three tenths of a second in your hang time as you decrease down until your body catches up physically to, to make that adjustment. So like, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard it real, when I was real young. And back then, if this dates you, I learned my senior year, I went from the two inch block to the ground. It took me the whole summer to figure out how to kick off the ground before my college year. And I don't think I was like really in rhythm rolling into fall camp at that point, but that was a whole nother era. But um, I think you just gotta, you gotta do the type of kick that helps your team win. I mean, as much as we as individuals want to get that opportunity somewhere. Like when it comes to the team, like like you should do what's best for the team. If, if you can get that guaranteed touchback, kicking off a certain way, like I guess do, you know, do do what's best for the team, but don't sacrifice your kicking style, you know, in a certain way. But or if it's better, if you can get a 50 yard field goal off a one inch, two inch block versus barely having range at 45 because you're trying to kick off the ground, well, that doesn't help your team. You know, because there's probably that one game where you, you need to hit a 50-yarder for the win or for the tie or to go into halftime so it changes and flips the momentum. So it's all it's all moving parts, I think, in terms of how you want to do the ground. But I always probably do, you know, do what's best for the team. And then also I would say consult with a coach, you know, or a few coaches and get their opinions and then make your own decision. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that 100%. Uh, when it comes to – uh, you you and Brian being contacted uh, by these coaches, you know, what what are these coaches looking for? And, you know, when when is your guys' hot time? When, when do they hit you up the most? Is there a conference that you guys hear from the most? Uh, talk to me about those optics. Yeah, well, for, for Brian and I regionally, you know, we, we tend to have a little bit more pull based on where we, we live geographically. Um, I think in like the, the – there's two or three conferences here around the Minnesota area where they're almost all populated with some sort of training of mine, just because I have better connections there. Uh, in the summer, this summer too, with the COVID stuff going on, uh, a lot of college coaches, colleges had to cancel their kicking camps. So uh, Brian and I got contacted a lot leading into certain camps and after certain camps where they were saying, hey, you know, we can't get guys in because we can't run camps. You know, please let us know your two or three or four top performers so we can look into them as well. So like I would say it was probably more active this summer than anything for a summer recruiting period. 
you know, in when you're looking at like signing day and all that stuff, you know, leading up to signing day, yeah, there's, there's co college coaches that will reach out about, you know, the top guys, but they're all pretty much fighting over the same 10 or 15 elite kickers anyways. And then once, you know, once uh, signing day is done, you know, there's, um, you know, then it really picks up. So like February through like May, you know, that's like real busy for special teams coaches because now they're finally putting time to find kickers on the hole, you know. The right coaches kind of figure it out by signing day or shortly after, but some some coaches they just they wait to the last minute, and then, and then they're surprised when they can't find anybody. Like like, well, all my guys are allocated somewhere. I, you know, I, I really don't have any options in July. You know, got to grab my kickers late, like we're some uh, crackers or something, man. Some used up, uh, you know, some yeah. non non food items. Yeah. That's funny. No, but that, that is, I always thought that was interesting and, and just the relationships you guys have with them because there's so many schools always looking for specialists and I know they come to you guys, you know, because I've seen it. And uh, I think that's, that's really interesting. Now switching gears a little bit too, I know we're bouncing around a lot, but one thing I've really liked about your program, Chris, is you do a great job of, of you know, you have a great warm up. Uh, and you do a great job physically of getting them prepared, which I think is on like a college level of, of taking your guys through a warm-up. Tell me what are some warm-up stretches that you like to use with your guys? And also what are some, you know, body workouts that you'll do to make sure they're limber or they're becoming more explosive? Yeah. So back, you know, back when I started training kids, my whole goal was to, because you know, social media was barely around, you know, it was Facebook and, and, and a certain few certain things. My access to knowledge was limited, you know, and I mean, practically you could pull up on YouTube and there's, you know, a hundred videos that teach you how to kick a ball now, you know? So my knowledge, my access to the resources were limited. And I always felt like had I gotten those resources, maybe one or two or three years earlier, maybe I probably would have had a legit chance, you know, to pursue the NFL as a punter. You know, maybe I could have, you know, had better certain conversations earlier in, in, in my development and, and, and that would have helped me. So my goal was to try to teach the kids what I learned at the highest level as early as I could proportionally to their skill set to help them develop quicker to reach their goals. So, so for my, um, my, my warm-up, um, it's like a third of what I used when I pursued the NFL. So it was designed for me by an ex-Minnesota Viking strength coach and his training partner who made it to the time trials in the Olympics for sprinting. So everything that they created for me was designed for me as a specialist. All the muscles I needed, my core, my hip flexors, my groin, my hamstrings, my ankle stability. So, so a lot of that is, is dynamic movement as well. And I think just science in stretching has developed where really 30 seconds holds really don't do you any good anymore. Maybe as a cool down, but not as a warm up. So the quick, fiery muscles is what we need as kickers and punters. So a lot of the stretching that we do is maybe three seconds max on a hold, you know, maybe five. Um, I think it's really important for specialists when they warm up to loosen up their hips, not, you know, obviously forward and backwards because that's predominantly the kicking and punting motion. But I think they also need the lateral movement as well. Because I found that a lot of guys who are tight in the hips or groin area a lot of times when they swing, it, it cuts across real quick and they, they wonder why they slice the ball or they swing across their body. And I think it's, it's, it's 
because they don't have the range of motion in their hips to drive their leg the, the direction they, they truly want it. And maybe they just can't control it because they just don't have the physical abilities. So I think it's important for people to do stretches, you know, where they're swinging their leg across their body to really open up the hips because I feel like they'll have more swing control on their punts and field goals and kickoffs and heck, even snapping. Having better range of motion in the hips makes you more limber and mobile to snap as well. So, it, um, so I think that that's important. I think a lot of specialists don't realize that when you kick and punt, you're pretty much on one leg each the whole the whole process. With the exception of the start, you're on one foot. So it's important that you have good body balance and you're not falling over, because if you're leaning different directions every time you kick a field goal, you're going to make different contact every time. So for for part of my training, I think it's very important that kids learn like individual leg stability. And that's part of the warm-up we do, and that's part of some of the drills that we teach is we don't just go out and punt, you know, full full process, you know, start start to end. We'll break it down on first just take the first step. Then we go, you know, say your drive step, then your plant step. And then we practice drive step, you know, your plant step, and then also practice the backswing and just pause. And and that occurred to me like thinking back to like my agility training days, like, okay, why is it important that an athlete jump off a box and plant and stick it? Or they jump up and plant and stick it because they got to form the mobility muscles and tendons in the stability element of each joint. So, okay, so how can I apply that to kicking and punting? How can I make a punter more balanced, you know? So, so I think balance is super important with the specialist because you're pretty much on one leg most of the most of the progression of a kicker, you know, for a kicker and a punter. So I think it's important to train on those things as well. Talking physics here, man. I love it. That's no, that's some really good stuff. And I absolutely, from all the guys I've talked to and heard, it's, it's all about working your hips in all four directions, not just front yeah. and back, you know, but side to side and directions you don't normally work your hips out are, are so important, uh, you know, and instead of just sitting there pulling, tugging and all that stuff, a little, something a little bit uh, different. It's still about how you help your specialist. So, when you're specialist, I'm sure you got guys you have a close relationship with. Um, you know, how do you help them through adversity? I'm sure they came to you and they say, Coach Hughesby, you know, I struggle. I miss all these kicks. What do you tell them when they're going through hard times? Well, um, you, know, you know, it depends on my journey with them to that point. Uh, you know, some of the times I try to prepare them in a lesson that it may happen. You know, because I'm big into visualization and, and process thinking as well. So, like, if I don't put you in the mindset that you might have a game winner and have to practice that, you know, then, then how are you going to be prepared? So, we, I, you know, we try to find certain scenarios that we can practice as game-like as we can in a lesson or a camp. You know, if the biggest thing that I learned just as a human is I used to be a perfectionist. And I used to always try to be perfect. And when something was flawed, I thought I was imperfect and all that type of stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that go through, you know, kind of the mental element of perfectionism and all that stuff. So uh, once, you know, I learned it, you know, once I learned that it's okay to be not perfect or be flawed a little bit in whatever, you know, that task is or that subject matter, you know, then then I think you become the real you. So, so I try to tell specialists like, hey, you are going to miss a kick in a game, most likely. You might be blessed and, and never miss. But it's real, it's real likely that you'll have a miss, you know, or you, you may miss a game winner. We don't want to, and we're going to prepare you to, to not do that, but we got to teach you how to prepare for that and how to handle that if, if it does happen. 
and how to bounce back. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with, with that, but teaching kids how to bounce back from adversity. I know that's a, just a common word that everybody uses, but bounce back from a miss um, is hugely important. And I've, I've learned from other people. I've learned from my own personal experiences, but like, I can't remember who said it to me. I think it was even John Carney. I mean, he, he said it great. He's like, okay, well, if you missed your kick, first of all, everybody knows that you weren't purposely trying to miss it. So you don't have to sit there and sulk and throw your helmet. I knew Brett, that you weren't trying to miss that field goal, unless you were, you know, which is real, you know, not going to happen. But so the biggest thing is just figure out how to let it go. Don't throw a scene, you know, don't do all that type of stuff. Sit at the end of the bench and show that you're pissed because everybody knows you weren't trying to do that. But John, John said it best. He goes, your players are counting on you to be, they know you're a good kicker. They're counting on you for the next game already. So you can't let that carry over into the next game. Sure, you maybe missed a game-winning kick against your rival high school or college team, but, like, the next game is just as important, and you can't let something that happened a week ago affect your mindset and how you're going to kick or punt or snap or do whatever position you are. Like, like they count on you, so you got to figure out how to bounce back. You know, so that was like a – it's like something I knew, but, like, he said it perfectly, and it really, it really like, was like another aha moment. Like, so then I adapted that in my coaching. Like, you're probably going to miss once. And it's probably going to suck. And you're, maybe that miss resulted in you losing by two. You know, it's, it's probably going to happen in your career if you stick around it long enough. Everybody's going to miss a game winner at some point in their life if you're around the game long enough. You know, you know some guys, if they kick for a year, yeah, I probably didn't get an opportunity to kick a game winner maybe. But, like, it's going to happen most likely. So you can't be so high strung and tight that you're too afraid to miss. Like, you just have to accept that you will probably miss. You will probably shank a punt. You'll probably snap a ball into the ground or over their head. And it's how you, you know, react and bounce back, you know. So that was kind of a long answer to your question. But I think you have to learn how to fail. You know, and that's kind of a cliche in the world a little bit too is you got to learn how to fail and how to bounce back from failing. And, you know, and that's, that's funny. And that's a great point. And it's a great quote. And I always try to tell my guys, you know, what's the most important kick? The next one what's the most important snap the next one you know what i mean it's just don't get it not not getting caught up because you're right even the greats miss justin tucker and all those phenomenal specialists but it's it's about how they respond to that failure which sets them apart and you know you could we could get on visualization man chris don't get me started man we'll be here all night but uh that's well, i'll say one thing for for coaches out there yeah. whether you're the kicking coach or you're the high school coach that's in charge of specialists or even a college coach but like it didn't occur to me till I was in college when back when I played, we had the one game at a time mentality. Like I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. Fine. We just focus on one game. Like I didn't know the why behind it. Like why is it important to do, to think like that and to not think too far in the future and plan for things that like you can't like are so far down the road. You can, you know, you can't control then you should you'd be controlling now. And once I like understand the why behind the one kick at a time mentality or one game at a time mentality, put all your focus on what you can control now. Like, like that's when it like opened up the game for me as a coach too. But like where I was trying to get at this with, with coaches that are listening to this is, you know, and I saw it a lot at the college level too, is this is what we do. You know, this is what, this is, we're an X defense or this is, we're shield punt for, for, you know, and that's what we do. But like, I think you should let the athlete know like why you do that like that. Like this is why we think a three, four defense is important. This is why we feel, we're going to be successful at a shield punt or a rugby rollout or uh, why we have to one-step punt for some reason. You know, like, 
like as long as everybody understands the why behind it, like I think you get everybody more as a team and it's cohesive. And I was like, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, one game at a time. Okay, well, all right. Well, I guess we're just gonna think about this team now. But which, but I didn't understand the why. And once I understood the why, it really clicked. If that makes 100%, sense. Hundred percent. That's that's so important. Um, you know. Well, now that we're talking about the why, I want to talk about the why of your podcast because fourth down experience to me was a game changer because just a year or two ago I either was still playing or I just finished playing but you guys were really that one first thing where it's like man you know it's limited to learn from other specialists uh on the internet I remember when I was playing I'd watch as many YouTube videos I can remember seeing Brian do videos on YouTube you know it's it's really limited as to the content and now with podcasts and stuff I mean you guys are just blowing the door off the whole thing and you know you guys had phenomenal guests um, and you, you've always done a great job of that and you inspired me too but I loved listening and I, I even showed some of my specialists you know you should be listening to this these are the guys that are doing it at that next level and they're talking about their secrets or what they like to do that's amazing yeah. um, how did you find those guests and who was your favorite guest that you guys have interviewed Ooh, that's that's a good one um well kind of like you said we we started it because there wasn't a special teams focused podcast and that was around the time when you know brian and i had the belief like why are kicking and stamping coaches trying to be so secretive about their secret sauce you know who cares it's it's for the better interest of the specialist to to get better and like i'm not gonna sit there and charge you 50 bucks just so you can hear me how to do teach you know so i can teach you how to do my step process like like just like some of that stuff should just be common like get to the point where like you just got to share the the basic knowledge you know and so you know so we, so we started it i think we were just finishing three seasons so uh when we start back up again after the summer it'll be our fourth season but like our goal was to share industry knowledge on a larger scale outside of you know instagram and twitter and all that type of stuff and and then have experts on that also talk about it and it was also done in a way to prove like it's not a one size fits all mentality. You know, the way Brett Kern or um, you know, all these different kicking coaches, you know, Will Lutz, Jason Myers, uh, all those different people that we had interviewed, their journey to the NFL was way different, was unique, and it was it was different than everybody else's. Their journey to get into college was way different. You know, some of them were blessed with with a dozen, you know, D1 offers that they could choose from. Some of them got their offers last minute and their path to get there was way different in every single story. And we just wanted kids to realize like, hey, that number one ranked kid in the nation who's getting all the attention, you know, there are NFL guys that made it who had one offer or made it at the, or played at the D2 level, but made the most of it or a last second FCS option, or they didn't start till their fourth year, you know, senior a fourth year player and like everybody's journey is different. So we wanted to make sure that there was a way to tell that story. And then we also had the specialist, you know, share a few tips on what worked for them so that kids could learn that way. So it was again, to try to break the mold and reset the industry of, of letting kids know, like it's not just one way to do it, you know, or make it And anything. And really, again, anything is possible, you know, any journey, if you work hard enough uh, to get there. You know, and it's funny, those three guys that you mentioned, Jason Myers, Will Lutz, Brett Kern, I mean, Jason Myers, to me, is the best form in the NFL. I, I love his form. He's so smooth and consistent, and he's tall. 
I mean, Will Lutz is one of the most consistent kickers in NFL history. And Brett Kern is freaking 34 out here, and he's reinvented himself and has become one of the best punters. All three of those guys are on your podcast. I mean, if you guys have not listened to that yet, absolutely go listen. These are some of the top specialists in the NFL just talking about their game. So I thought that's so cool. Is there someone that stands out to you that you really enjoy, Chris, or is there someone that, you know, you're excited about having on? Well, well, okay. So growing up, you know, I think, you know, most kickers have somebody that, that, that they look up to and follow. So when I, when I was going up through the pipeline of learning how to kick, uh, Gary Anderson was the kicker that I, I looked up to. He was from South Africa. He played a long time with the, with the Steelers and then the Vikings. And he had almost a, a perfect season, almost got us into the Super Bowl. You know, like, so he was a guy that I looked up to. So for me, like, from a personal standpoint, that was like a huge one to get. It was like my kicking idol that I, that I watched. Um, Will Lutz was real cool. He was like our third ever interview. And that was because, um, I, you know, we saw him go up through the pipeline from college to free agency to like get in the league. And then Brian Jackson was a part of his development while he was in college. So like, I knew a lot of the behind the scenes stories. So to see him get there was, it was real fun to talk to him at that level. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many great interviews, like our interview with Randy Brown, which was one of our last few ones we did. He was the Ravens kicking coach. You know, that was amazing to see like the ins and outs of what it's like at that level, you know, and, and for those who maybe aspire to be maybe an NFL specialist coach. Uh, Harrison Butker has been on a few times with us. I love it. We love having him on. You know, we've, we've developed a relationship with, with a lot of these specialists beyond the, the interview, which is real fun. And our aha moment was when Harrison told us after the Super Bowl that he listens to our podcast. And we're like, holy smokes. Harrison, like, learns. What, he listens to what we have to say. He respects us enough to listen. He listens to what experts say and how they got there, and he tries to add it to his thing. So he told us that he listened to our um, David Akers interview, and he, like, loved it. And he, like, applied that into his kicking game, like, leading up to the Super Bowl. So, like, we were like, holy smokes, you know. So, I mean, not that we feel like we're big time. We feel like we're doing the right thing, and we're doing a good job at it. But, like, when NFL specialists are listening to what we put out there, that was like our that was like a game changer for us. And so it's uh, it feels good, you know. To, and then that adds a certain element of pressure because then we know that we got to like make sure that it's a real good interview every time. But like, if you listen to all our episodes, at the end of every episode, I say, "God, that was like my favorite interview." And it truly is because it's for me. It's so fun to learn about somebody's journey and and what got them there, and to learn like again, me learn more about somebody else's journey and, and, and there's another possible way to do something, you know, like, like they're all my favorites, you know, really, but like those ones stand out. And then obviously we interviewed Pat McAfee and that was like amazing. Like right when he was just starting to blow up and now he's like quadrupled, you know, his, what he does now. So, you know, we're hoping to get him back on the podcast. And so hopefully we can, and he's not too busy to, to be with us again, but I mean, he was amazing. Like we've, like when we went to Indy, for our last camp last year, we stopped by his office and like hung out with him for like two hours. And he was like so down to earth, he was so cool. We met his crew, Zito and all those guys and learned a little bit more about podcasting, but like he was just a down to earth dude that was awesome, you know? So, and I think that's why people like him is he's relatable because he's just down to earth. He's not trying to be something he's not. And, and, and I connect with that because I try to do the same thing, just be, be myself and not try to be somebody else. So. Again, another life lesson is just try to be yourself and people connect with that better. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, you guys have done so well. I've, I was so interested in it because, like you said with Randy Brown, uh, I listened with my dad and we, you know, shout out to Craig, but we, uh, we talked about that and just how detailed and detail-oriented is. That's how I want to be as a coach, you know, and that's my goal eventually is, you know, work with specialists and special teams at the highest level. So listening to him talk and, and the intricacies, you know, my dad was like, wow, I never knew, you know, that's what it took. Like, yeah, it's, it is so detail-oriented. And a lot of people don't understand that nope. about specialists. They say, well, I could have made that kick. Oh, exactly, yeah. Oh, well, that's, right. that's, yeah. That answers another question from back on earlier. Is everybody thinks that they can do it, yeah. and uh, which is not true. No, it's not. So you guys are bringing light to that because you're – Hashtag reset the industry, but also, you know, you're bringing on these phenomenal guests. And man, I can't wait for your next season, fourth down experience. I guess this will partially be on it, but uh, awesome, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, wrapping it up here, you know, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite um, inspirational or motivational quote, or maybe it's just a quote about success that you, uh, you know, really try to live out in your everyday life? Yeah, uh, there's a few that come to mind. When I was younger, I was totally the, the quote guy. I had to read all these quotes to just get myself going and jacked up. And then I could never regurgitate it, you know. And then, like, as a coach, I was like, I got to, like, have something to give these kids. So um, a few quotes that I use and I like to give to people, and, and I got this from Tom Feely. And he's a, he's a big-time coach out of Florida, and his son is Jay Feely. And he's just a real good person in, in coach. He always said, make your weakness your strength. And so, like, as a kicker, most kickers, their worst their, their strength is punting. So he, he was always like, make your weakness your strength and practice it so much that it becomes your strength, you know. So then I, I tried to tell that to the kids, like, okay, well, why don't you like to punt? Why well, don't practice it that much? Okay. So if you practice it enough, you'd probably be better, right? Are, are you really good at video games and Fortnite and all that stuff? Yeah. How do you think you got that good? I play it a lot. Oh, okay, so you practice it a lot. So, you know, so like, so I, I like that quote a lot, make your weakness your strength. And then another quote I learned actually from his son, Jay Feely, we were in a camp in Arizona and his son, Jay, uh, was, was like our guest coach. And, um, you know, we had a, we had a punter there that, that was trying to pursue the, like the division one level and was real good. And he didn't do so well, you know, in this, in this thing. And, and so the teaching tool that Jay said was, he goes, it's not how good your best ball is. It's how good your worst ball is. And, and again, it relates to being consistent. You know, any high school coach or college coach wants a guy that they can count on and will do what they need them to do, even if it sacrifices five yards. You know, and, and that was an eye-opener for me as well. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah, this particular guy or anybody can boot a few five O's or a 4-7 or 4-6. But, man, if you – if you shank that one kick when it's needed, you know, a 3-0 and it goes 25 yards, well, that's not, that's not good at all, you know. So, like, you know, that's, a, that's one that I use about teaching kids about consistency. Like, don't, don't necessarily worry about the best ball you could possibly smack and hit, you know. Just, just be consistent, you know, and, and try, to, try to eliminate the shanks. We're all going to shank it. Try to eliminate doing, you know, maybe instead of doing a 3 out of 10, we do it 1 out of 10 or a 1 out of 15 or 1 out of 20. It's bound to happen, so just accept it. But just try to eliminate, you know, the errors the best that you can, which is probably what a defense tries to do and an offense tries to do. Eliminate the mental mistakes and the errors, and the team that screws up the least is probably going to win, you know. 
words to live by right there. Eliminate the shanks and hashtag reset the industry. Exactly. So great stuff, Chris, man. I really do appreciate it. You've been fantastic, man. And to me, you are one of the great uh, kicking coaches out there in the industry. So I appreciate having you on, man. And I know you. Where, where can uh, people find you if they have just, I don't know how, but they're just now finding about Coach Hughesby and your operations. Yeah. Where can they find you out on social media? Sure. Well, I run Special Teams Football Academy. Um, Special Teams FB is is the handle for most for, for Twitter and, and Instagram. And you know, we're I'm based out of Minnesota, so a lot of our training is in the Midwest, in predominantly Minnesota. For those that maybe want to come come train in our in beautiful Minnesota, um, but also you know, co-run uh, national kicking rankings with Brian Jackson, and that we do that more on a national scale, and we run camps throughout the United States. So. Uh, and that is more evaluation-based and, and training-based as well. So if, if, if you want to get evaluated on, on, on us, we're one of the three major uh, evaluation platforms out there. Uh, so if you, want, if you like our style or you like, like how we, we operate, you know, we'll, we'll probably run a camp near you or at least within the three-state area. And so just check out, you know, National Kicking Rankings uh, on social media and online for, for the training schedules for the camps. It's a fantastic operation. I had the uh, you know honor of being a part of it for a little while, and I was you know so glad I did. So, yeah, thank you. Well, we sure missed you too, but you're on, you're on to big and, and better things to pursue that. Uh, I don't know about that, man. I'm just trying my best. So, yeah. all right. Well, I appreciate having you on, Chris. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Iceman underscore Kicking. Uh, you can find this interview on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud at the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It will also make a debut on the fourth down experience. And also check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. Tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian. This has been the Iceman Kicking Podcast, saying stay cool under pressure and have a chill week. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.